Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O' Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge. Because as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. If you're in the Midwest or up north, warmer weather is finally here. I know, finally, right? When I used to live in Indianapolis, it would just, it astonished me that it would be May and we could still get like little snow flurries. I'm like, where where am I? So I completely understand that, uh, that Midwest, uh, snow and but right now it should be nice weather we, we're almost moving you know midway through the month into june so the weather should be nice up north now for us down here in the south it's been warm since february we're trying to cool off actually so i'm in houston if you guys don't remember we have the type of weather that actually keeps you inside until about 6 p.m when the sun sets and or at least it gradually goes down. And then for us, that means we have two to three more hours of shadier daylight. Now, that's the sweet spot time of the day. So you can just lay out and feel a breeze and the sun's not beaming on your forehead. It's just ah, it's just a good time. OK, well, this week I have had three lupus consults. So it's on my mind and I felt like we really need to talk about it this week. Um, on the podcast. Plus, I've had several questions about um, either lupus or other autoimmune disorders uh, this week. So let's talk about that this week. Lupus, I mean, we hear people, oh, you have lupus, you have lupus, but what is it actually? And people shorten it to lupus, but it's really called systemic lupus erythematosus, and it's abbreviated as SLE because of that. And it's a disease that causes your body's immune system to t- attack its own tissues and organs. So it's one of the autoimmune diseases, but it can affect pretty much every area of your body. So yeah, your skin, heart, kidneys, lungs, brain, your red blood cells, your liver, everything, you name it, lupus can affect it. If you haven't been diagnosed with lupus or never heard of it before, the symptoms are Fatigue, 90% of people present with fatigue. They feel tired all the time. And not just like, oh, I feel tired, I need to get some sleep. Like they just can't get enough sleep to make them feel rejuvenated, okay? Unexplained fever. So you have fever, you get antibiotics, you still have a fever. Could be that that's a symptom of lupus. Hair loss or hair hair shedding, Um, rash, especially like a butterfly-shaped rash, meaning it's across, it's from cheek to cheek, cheek to cheek on your face across the bridge of your nose. Um, but you can also have like splotchy, patchy rashes on your face or pretty much anywhere in your body. People have insensitivity to light, you can have painful joints. Uh, you might've been diagnosed with arthritis already. 
um, because lupus is really closely related to arthritis, which we know is another autoimmune disease that can affect joints and cartilage. You can have ulcers in your mouth. You may present with seizures. You have you have difficulty breathing, even a chronic cough, and then swelling in your face, in your hands, and in your feet. Those are all symptoms of lupus. So yeah, it can do a lot to pretty much any part of your body. So it's important to get diagnosed so you can get treated. I say that, but it can be very hard to diagnose because there's not just like one single blood test that nails down the diagnosis of lupus. Instead, we use a combination of symptoms and tests to determine if you have lupus or not. So in order to be diagnosed with lupus, you have to have four of 11 of any of the following. And and some of these are symptoms and some of these are lab tests. The butterfly rash, okay? So that rash from one cheek to the other cheek across the bridge of the nose. Butterfly rash is one sign. Raised patches on the skin, that's another type of rash. And usually those are, are darker patches on the skin. You have insensitivity to light, meaning you have pain in your eyes or you're seeing splotches or, or blurry vision when you're in um, the light or outside of the sun. That could be a symptom or a sign. Ulcers in your mouth or your nose, arthritis in two or more joints plus swelling or tenderness. Inflammation in the lining of the heart is pericarditis. And then pleurisy is inflammation pretty much anything in the chest cavity, including the lining of the lung. And, you know, if you have inflammation in the lung, that's just plain old pneumonia. Okay. And so some people can have pneumonia and a pleurofusion or fluid in the lung that they can't clear. And sometimes they need a chest tube. So though that inflammation in the lung or in the lining of the lung, seizures or other nerve problems, too much protein in your urine. So if you get a test, told too much protein in the urine, you don't have high blood pressure or anything like that. You've never been told you had any kidney issues. Yeah, that could be a sign of kidney issues, um, which does go directly with uh, lupus. If you have a low red blood cell count or anemia, certain antibodies in your um, blood. So you have Sjogren's antibodies, which is another autoimmune disease. You can have um, double-stranded DNA antibodies, okay, which is also non-specific to lupus, but it does commonly go with lupus. And then you can also have other antibodies that go with rheumatoid arthritis uh, in the blood. And then you also have results of a blood test called the ANA or antinucleic acid antibodies, which could be sign of lupus as well. So out of those 11 things, you have to have four of them, okay? Because it's difficult to diagnose and usually associated with several autoimmune diseases, it can take on average six years for someone to be diagnosed with lupus. Can you imagine having symptoms for that long and not getting any answers? It's crazy, right? You're like, why wouldn't somebody just do a quick workup? But you have to understand that symptoms of lupus can be extremely vague, right? Someone presents with fatigue and seizures. So what are you thinking? You're thinking seizure disorder. You're not thinking lupus. Then they come back with joint uh, painful joints. A few months later, you're thinking rheumatoid arthritis. And then most of the autoantibodies overlap with multiple conditions. So it's really not until you look back and say, wait a minute. She had multiple autoimmune disorders. Let's go through the list again and see if she has four of these 11 things. It just may take a little while for you to even have enough things to check off the boxes. Okay. But if you're experiencing several symptoms or you have several different autoimmune conditions, 
ask specifically if you may have lupus and to get tested for it because getting treated for something like lupus versus getting treated for thyroid disease and, you know, then seizure disorder and then something else that's rheumatoid arthritis, like they're all treated just a little bit differently. So you want to make sure that you you optimize the treatment. So of course you can't optimize treatment without knowing if you have the diagnosis. So if you have any symptoms, always make sure they've ruled out lupus periodically. We just talked about all the diagnosis and the symptoms. And these happen outside of pregnancy. So pregnancy only complicates the situation. So according to the Lupus Foundation of America, lupus affects 1.5 million Americans and 5 million people worldwide in some form or fashion. And I say some form or fashion because there are different types of lupus. So there's lupus nephritis that predominantly affects the kidneys and not really any other part of um, of the body. So you have different types of lupus um, depending on what's predominantly affected or you can have systemic lupus and lupus nephritis because now you've had it, you have advancement of kidney disease, okay? 90% of those with lupus are women. And if you think about it, you don't really know too many men that have lupus. And the onset is usually during childbearing years, but some are diagnosed as early as 15 years old and as late as 45 years old. So for me as a high-risk specialist, those are all childbearing years because I treat all of those either teen pregnancies or those women that are over age 35 like I am. And lupus is also two to three times more prevalent amongst people of, of color, which is the population who has the highest risk of complications and dying in pregnancy. So Lupus patients have to be extra careful in making sure they are healthy prior to pregnancy to avoid complications during a pregnancy. And everyone with lupus who gets pregnant should be followed by somebody like me who is a maternal fetal medicine specialist or uh, same thing as a high-risk OBGYN through their entire pregnancy. Because like I say, lupus can affect multiple systems and you want to make sure that everything is being checked. And so if you have your OB, you also want to have your MFM and you also want to have your rheumatologist as well. Now, the good thing about lupus and most autoimmune disorders is that during pregnancy, you are less likely to flare, but you do have a high risk of flaring during the postpartum period. So I always make sure my patients are scheduled to have a postpartum appointment with their rheumatologist two weeks after delivery, even if they're like, I'm fine, I feel good. Okay, well, go to your rheumatologist, girl, and make sure that your numbers are good because what we don't want to do is be complacent. And then all of a sudden you're in a really extreme flare. Now I said that people are more likely to flare after pregnancy. Okay. It doesn't mean that you can't have a flare during the pregnancy. Okay. Patients with lupus should be treated during the pregnancy with at least immunomodulators. So when I say immunomodulators, I mean medicines that help boost your immune system in some ways and suppress it in others, right? Because lupus is your body attacking its own cells. So we want to make sure that those antibodies are suppressed that are attacking your healthy organs and tissue. And in pregnancy, at the bare minimum, you should be on Plaquenil or what's called hydroxychloroquine, 200 milligrams orally twice a day forever for the duration of the pregnancy, okay? 
So that is the bare minimum. Even people that have no flares, they were diagnosed with lupus. They've been flare free for five years. Guess what? When you get pregnant, you got to be on Plaquenil. Okay. It's, it's important. Okay. Very, very, very important. Now you could be on things like azathioprine, cyclosporin, or tacrolimus. Those can be used to prevent, um, lupus flares during pregnancy as well. Um, that's according to the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine. Those are safe. So we have to weigh the risk of those medicines versus the benefits. And with somebody with lupus, it's more beneficial if we needed to suppress flares. So if you own these and you get pregnant, don't just stop them cold turkey. Talk with your provider as soon as possible so that they can know that you're pregnant and they can adjust your regimen and tell you, hey, can you just be on Plaquenil or do you need to be on some other, you know, immunosuppressant or monoclonal antibody during pregnancy so that you don't get a flare in pregnancy? Now, if you're pregnant with a flare, you'll be started on high dose steroids to suppress the flare, okay? Um, you'll also be continued on your immunomodulators as well, or you may have a new one added. Now, the risk of lupus in pregnancy, obviously it affects the whole body. So it can cause a lot of things. And I'm telling you all these things so that you can have the knowledge you need to make sure that you are as healthy as possible before pregnancy, not to scare you. Okay. You need to know what can go on with your body and you can need to know, you need to know what's going on with your baby's body. So none of this is to scare you, but these are the things that we look out for and the things that we try to prevent in pregnancy. If you have lupus, you are at increased risk for, for renal disease, even if you don't have lupus nephritis. Okay. And like I said, lupus nephritis is lupus that predominantly affects the kidney function. Okay. Obviously, if you have lupus, you can have a lupus flare. That's a risk during pregnancy, uh, which can affect the heart, the brain, the kidneys, the skin, etc. Okay. And uh, preeclampsia. Preeclampsia, go back and listen to that episode if you haven't listened to it already, is high blood pressure and vascular damage. We look for vascular damage as protein in your urine. Obviously, lupus is a systemic problem. So it's going to affect all the vasculature already. So women with lupus have a 20% risk of getting preeclampsia, super high. 20% of women with lupus get preeclampsia. You also have increased risk for gestational diabetes. And that's also because of the underlying vascular damage. And it could also be compounded by the fact that a lot of people with lupus, especially if you have a flare, get steroids at some point during the pregnancy. Steroids drive up your blood sugar. So it could be a combination of factors. Is it the fact that you have lupus or is it the fact that you have steroids, but you wouldn't be on the steroids if you didn't have lupus? So it's really hard for us to determine that. And then neonatal lupus. So yeah, y'all, it can affect your baby. Your baby can be born with neonatal lupus. And this can cause a skin rash in the baby. It can cause liver problems. It can cause anemia or a low red blood cell count. Now, these babies with neonatal lupus can also be born with heart block. And this is due to antibodies called anti-LA and anti-RO antibodies. So same thing is, if you ever heard somebody say SSA and SSB antibodies. Those are just two antibodies that people with rheumatoid arthritis or lupus can get, excuse me, Sjogren's syndrome or lupus can get that cross the placenta. All patients with lupus are checked for these antibodies. And if they're positive, then you'll be seeing an MFM like me every two weeks to monitor the baby for signs of heart block during the pregnancy. Now, the risk of heart block is extremely low, but we want to make sure we know if a baby has heart block so that we can monitor the baby for symptoms of worsening heart block or heart failure. 
let me reiterate that I'm saying all this to make sure that you know if you have lupus, you know, so that you can make sure you know what to check for and that you're as healthy as possible. And if you just want to know inf- more information about lupus, you know um, how to treat these patients with lupus and what to look for going forward. So the key to managing lupus in pregnancy is to make sure that you are stable and flare-free before you get pregnant and recognizing flares early on if you are pregnant so that you can be treated aggressively. So you can get safely through the pregnancy. I have helped several women that have had lupus get through pregnancies with no issues. So don't be discouraged. It takes just close monitoring to make sure that we are not missing anything and we're being very aggressive. Now that you know all about lupus in pregnancy, let's go to some cases. Our first case is a 22-year-old who is 21 weeks pregnant with her first child. She presents to the hospital with fever, chills, confusion, and generalized pain. She has a known history of lupus, but hasn't been seen by her provider since being pregnant. Her mother said she was previously on two different medicines, but she stopped them when she found out she was pregnant because she didn't think they were safe. The rheumatologist wants to start the patient on steroids, but the patient's mother refused, stating that she read steroids causes heart defects. She desires an alternative treatment. You were consulted to help with management. Okay, so there's so many people that do this and it irks my nerves. And it's not just because of lupus. It's like any medical problem. When people stop medicines cold turkey without talking to their providers, like the most common thing to happen when you stop any medicine, whether you're pregnant or not, if you just stop your medicine, guess what? The thing that you are being treated for is going to start becoming uncontrolled, okay? So you can't just stop your medicines cold turkey without getting some type of alternative. And I get it. You're like, oh, you know, I needed to stop my medicine suddenly um, because I wasn't able to see my OB for another three weeks and I didn't know what that was going to do, right? People say that all the time. But what you need to do is you say, can I speak to the nurse, okay? You get on the phone with the nurse and you say, hey, I know I don't have an appointment for two or three weeks, but I'm on medicines that I don't know if they're safe in pregnancy. I was told not to just stop these medicines. What should I do? Okay. And you get an answer in a day or two. Okay. Or that day. Don't just stop them for three or four weeks until you see your provider or never see the subspecialist again. And the subspecialist has no idea that you're pregnant. So don't do that, y'all. Do not do that. Wait and then switch. Okay. Wait and switch to an, uh, an alternative. And, you know, uh, the physicians are there to make sure you're taken care of. Hold us accountable. You know, send us a my chart message. We have 48 hours to respond to those. Okay. Call. We are, we're going to call you back by the end of the day. Okay. And if we don't, guess what you need to do? Call back the next morning and say, hey, I called yesterday. I haven't heard anything back, but I'm on these medicines and I can't stop them cold turkey. What should I do? So make sure you are talking to your provider and not just your OBGYN, your rheumatologist too, okay? Or whatever that subspecialist is that's treating you. Whoever's prescribing that medicine needs to know that you're pregnant, not just your OB, okay? So if your rheumatologist has you on it, say, hey, I'm on this medicine now. I'm pregnant. What should I do? Okay? And let them switch you. Don't just stop cold turkey. So 
That's the first point I want to make there. The second point is a lot of people are like, oh my God, steroids are going to cause birth defects. Now there are some studies that show that steroids do cause a very, 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 very small risk of cleft lip and palate. And there is a study that shows an increased association with heart defects. But when we looked at that study, that study had a lower association with heart defects in the in the uh, steroid population than in the general public now. Okay, so we know that that study would, had some confounders or it was skewed. Okay, it was a little skewed. So we can't go by that. And so we have to weigh the risk of the steroids versus the risk of not treating with steroids. Okay. The risk of the steroids at 21 weeks, y'all, is super low. Whatever's happened to that baby has already happened. The organs are fully developed, okay? The heart is fully developed. We just can't see it until 18 to 20 weeks. We don't see everything we want to see. But, you know, by the eighth week, guess what? The heart is developed. By 12 weeks, the spine is developed, Going forward, we're working on brain and lung maturation, okay? And of course, everything's growing and getting bigger. But the things, the chambers that are supposed to be there, they're there. The vessels that are supposed to go in and out of the heart, they're there. So you can't go backwards and make a heart defect at 21 weeks of pregnancy. So the biggest deal with steroids in pregnancy in the second trimester is not that it's going to cause a heart defect, it's that it's going to cause a smaller baby. People that are on steroids have an increased risk of having a small baby. But guess what? People that have lupus and autoimmune conditions in general have an increased risk of a smaller baby. So we don't know if it's the disease process because you have underlying vascular damage, which means that the there's not good enough blood flow going to the uterus, which means that the placenta or the afterbirth isn't functioning correctly, or whether it's the effects of the steroids themselves. We don't know, but we do know there's an increased risk of having a slightly smaller baby. And so anybody that has an autoimmune disease, whether it's controlled or not, needs to um, have growth scans on your baby pretty much once a month after the 20th week, just to make sure we track the baby. So what are you going to do if you track the baby, you see the baby small, you can't do anything about making the baby bigger, right? People say that all the time. Why am I coming here for ultrasounds? Well, that's because smaller babies have an increased risk of stillbirth. Go back. I have an episode on that, on small babies. Go back and listen to small babies episode. And we know that sometimes we can predict which small babies are in danger because of the afterbirth not functioning correctly and which ones aren't. And those that are in danger because the afterbirth isn't functioning correctly, they're going to start having abnormal blood flow through the placenta. You're going to start seeing the baby giving the placenta blood flow. Okay, that shouldn't happen. The baby should never be giving the afterbirth blood flow. That's, that's called reversal flow. And if we see that phenomenon, that means that, hey, we got to get out of here. This placenta is useless and the baby is now supplying the placenta. Well, we don't want that to happen. So that would be a reason to deliver because that tells us that that baby has a higher risk of stillbirth. That happens with some small babies. So that's why we have to follow you every four weeks to make sure that the rate of growth of your baby is normal. Okay. So that's the biggest deal with steroids. Okay. But let's go back to this refusal. Okay. This mom is refusing because the daughter is not alert enough. She has fever, chills, confusion, and pain. Now I'm assuming we knew she had pain before she became confused because otherwise we wouldn't be able to tell if she had pain or not. Right. Unless on exam, we saw 
that tenderness was elicited. But this is a lupus flare. So she's in a full-blown lupus flare. Fever, chills, complete fusion, generalized pain in somebody with known lupus is a lupus flare until proven otherwise. And the confusion makes me think more that there's inflammation around the brain that's causing this confusion, okay? And it could be that she's septic and she has a fever and a fever itself and sepsis itself can cause you confusion. But we got to rule out lupus cerebritis to make sure that it's not inflammation of the lining of the brain, okay? Now, what I would tell this mom, this patient's mom, is that, hey, she has a fever. We're going to give her broad-spectrum antibiotics while we're waiting on blood cultures and urine cultures to figure out if there's a source of infection. We're going to do some blood studies to see if she has an elevated white blood cell count. We're going to look at her protein to see how much protein she's dumping. And then we're also going to do some imaging of the brain because she's confused. We can't rule out something like a stroke um, or lupus cerebritis. So I would get an MRI of the brain just to see if there's inflammation there or evidence of an infarct or stroke because we know that patients that have autoimmune conditions that are systemic like lupus have an increased risk of having things like strokes and heart attacks, okay, because it affects the vasculature. So I'm going to get an MRI because she's confused to make sure that there's nothing going on in the brain, okay? And yes, lupus flares are treated with extremely high dose steroids, okay? Usually we start, you know, solumedrol, 125 milligrams, like high dose steroids, not just like prednisone, 20 milligrams, okay? So super high dose steroids. And if she has lupus cerebritis, which for me, since I've seen this recently, um, I'm going to treat you for it if that MRI shows any inflammation, okay? Any inflammation is lupus cerebritis. So um, meaning inflammation of the lining of the cerebrum, okay? That's why we call it cerebritis. But um, but if this is the case, she needs to be on super high dose steroids, like a thousand milligrams of solumedrol. So really a high dose, 500,000 milligrams of steroids for a prolonged period of time. So steroids decrease inflammation, mom. That's the only thing we have in pregnancy that's going to treat a flare. Even if she wasn't pregnant, we would still be using super high dose steroids to suppress um, this flare, to suppress those antibodies so that she can recover. Delaying this treatment can be life-threatening. You have inflammation in the brain that can cause you to have a stroke, can cause you to have, you know, you're flaring, you're still flaring, cause you have a uh, injury to other organs um, like the brain as well. So um, I would tell the mom, there is no alternative. You have to be treated with steroids, okay? And then the other piece at 21 weeks, like I said before, when we were talking about the information about lupus, all these patients, even if you weren't on Plaquenil before the pregnancy, we're going to start you on at least Plaquenil during this flare and throughout the rest of the pregnancy. Okay. Sometimes other immunomodulators are needed or medicines to alter your immune system, but uh, we would leave that up to the rheumatologist would, who would be consulted. Since it's systemic with lupus, you would need a rheumatologist to make sure that everything's going okay um, with your regimen. You need a neurologist because there's some confusion. If you have sources of infection or this fever is, is um, persistent, then you would also may need infectious disease um, to work up your fever 
further if it's not just deemed to be because of cerebritis or lupus flare. Um, so you need a couple of subspecialists on board. If you're super anemic, you could need a hematologist as well. So you're going to need several different subspecialists on board to make sure that we are touching every system and every system is protected and your labs are improving and your clinical condition is improving. But the management for a lupus flare is high dose steroids and the likelihood that it's going to cause any defect, structural defect at all in a baby after the first trimester is extremely low. The case pearl. Lupus cerebritis is rare, but it's a serious complication of lupus. Extremely high doses of steroids are used for urgent treatment and should not be refused. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? Our second case is a 33-year-old who is 22 weeks pregnant with her second child. She has known history of lupus for which she has been taking Plaquenil. She is also on baby aspirin. She had her anatomy ultrasound two weeks ago and was told everything was normal. However, she is now being told that she has to come back to the high-risk specialist every two weeks. She has not yet met her deductible, and she desires to return only when she has flares because she doesn't want to pay a copay. She presents for counseling about the risk of lupus in pregnancy. Even if you didn't have any antibodies, you would still need to come back to the high-risk specialist every four weeks. You need to be monitored, okay? I, you know, I just want to make sure we understand that the purpose of somebody like an MFM is not because your OB isn't smart. Your OB is super smart, right? But your OB does a whole, sees a whole bunch of people. They see three times as many people as I see, Right. And they're busy because they're doing GYN, they're doing surgeries during the day, they're doing a lot of deliveries. They are all over the place because that is the life of an OBGYN. And so they are taking care of low-risk patients. And when you see them, they are treating you as if you are a low-risk patient. They're asking you, are you contracting? Are you having any vaginal bleeding, leakage of fluid? You feeling your baby move? Okay, they're doing your fundal height or measuring your belly and they're checking heart tones. They may ask you how you feel, but they're not going to be the person that is really trying to hone in on your symptoms. Some OBs do take the time. I'm not saying they, do, they don't, but they will send you to somebody like me because then I can tease out, hey, do you have something that not just affects you, okay, but can affect your baby. So I'm the mommy baby person. And we want to make sure that you and your baby get safely through the pregnancy and beyond. So we want to make sure of that. So that's why you're sent to me. Somebody that's going to take time, go through all your rheumatology notes, call your rheumatologist to talk about your meds, to see if they're safe and to offer some other alternative. They're going to talk, call your other subspecialists that, that are taking care of you. So we're coordinators of care. Okay, and in all of that, we're also making sure we recommend to your OBGYN when exactly you need to be delivered. Now, you have two antibodies. You have, uh, you know, at least one of the two antibodies because you need to come back every two weeks. So that means that you have either anti-LA or anti-RO, which is SSA or SSB antibodies, which are two antibodies that can cross the placenta and cause heart block in the baby. Okay, which means that 
it slows the amount of time it takes to conduct the right side of the heart, basically. Okay. That's heart block. Some of these babies need pacemakers after delivery. And people say, well, what can you do during the pregnancy if you find heart block? Well, there's some experimental things like giving you certain types of glucocorticoids, so dexamethasone that can cross the placenta to try to treat the baby's heart block. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Okay, there's nothing that's 100% with heart block. So it's a matter of watching to see if this baby has any evidence of heart failure or development of what's called high drops, which would meaning fluid that builds up in two or more compartments because the heart is not functioning well enough. And that could be a reason that the baby may need to deliver. Now, some babies do just fine with heart block. They go all the way through the pregnancy and then we determine when exactly they need to be delivered. And then afterwards they get another echo or ultrasound of the baby's heart. And then the cardiologist will decide if the baby needs a pacemaker or can be met, um, be uh, managed for heart block medically. But that's why it's important for you to come back every two weeks because we need to make sure we're coordinating that. And I know that you're like, oh, I haven't met my deductible yet. You're pregnant. You will. You will meet your deductible because you're pregnant. Um, so don't worry too much about that. Okay. If paying the copay is a lot, you know, talk to, you can always talk to finance and billing to make a payment plan, you know, until you're, you've hundred percent met your deductible. Okay. But you shouldn't, you really should not um, miss these appointments, especially if we know that you have SSA, SSB antibodies. If you didn't have those antibodies, then, you know, we could coordinate stuff with your OB. Your OB can do ultrasounds every four weeks, but it's a follow-up ultrasound, right? It's the same charge you're going to get with me that you would get with your OB. Okay. When you're getting these and these uh, ultrasounds to check for heart block, that is actually not just a normal routine ultrasound. Because people also ask me, why do I have to come here? Why can't my OB do it? That is a fetal echo, okay? It is actually measuring the amount of time it takes for blood to move in and out of certain parts of the heart. It takes very, it's a specialized type of ultrasound that you have to have done. So you really do need to come back if you have antibodies. If you don't, then we can coordinate you getting your follow-up ultrasounds with your OBGYN. But again, you still gonna have to meet that deductible. So the case pearl for this case is patients with SSA or SSB antibodies, either or, should be seen every two weeks in the pregnancy to recognize for signs of heart block in the baby. And that should start somewhere around 16 to 18 weeks, all the way pretty much into the, through the pregnancy. All right, medical intern, do we have any email cases today? We do. This one says, Dr. Plenty, I have lupus nephritis and was told that I have mild kidney disease. My last creatinine or blood test for kidney function was 1.6, which is an improvement since seeing my new rheumatologist who changed my medication. I am 34 years old and just got married. I really would like to have a baby, but will need to go through IVF because my husband had a vasectomy during his last marriage. Is it safe for me to get pregnant? So lupus nephritis, you know, with the creatinine that's elevated, you do have a higher risk if you were to get pregnant to progress, um, to have progressive renal disease. If your creatinine was 2.5, you have a high risk of progressing the end-stage renal disease and, and needing dialysis at some point during the pregnancy. I say all that to say you have time, okay? 
you're 34 and you just got married. I know people always think, oh my God, I need to have this baby before 35 because for some reason, 35 is like everybody's magic line in the sand for when all of a sudden their risk is going to increase, right? People are 34, you know, 34 and they turn 35 the next month. And once they turn 35, like, oh my God, I'm so high risk. I'm like you were the same risk you were last year. Calm down. So you're 34. You just got married. Take some time to breathe. I'll say that. Take some time to breathe. You have time to breathe. But what I would not suggest is you getting pregnant with a creatinine that's 1.6. I cannot safely say that you can get pregnant with renal disease. Normal in pregnancy, a normal creatinine is 1, 1.0 is normal. And know people are like 1.6 is really not that high. It is, okay? It is high when we're talking about normal. In pregnancy, your dub- your blood volume doubles, okay? So your creatinine should usually be cut in half. So normal in pregnancy is 0. 0.4 to 0.7 of creatinine. People that have underlying renal disease already, it can be interesting because initially it can drop to like 0.9, right? And so we're like, oh, that's normal. No, that's still elevated in pregnancy. And it is more likely to get much higher in pregnancy because if your kidneys weren't functioning before, and remember the kidneys filter blood, they filter all the waste out in blood. And then that waste turns into urine and we excrete that as urination, okay? But if you tell a kidney, you're not working as well, right? We're going to throw more blood at you and see how hard you're going to work. That's like taking a car, right? If you have a car, call them old faithful, old school car. It's good to go from point A to point B, but you know that occasionally it runs hot. Occasionally your car runs hot. You pop the hood, you put coolant in it. It's fine. It You're not getting a new car, right? Now, instead of telling you to drive it, from your house to work every day, adding coolant in the morning. Now I'm going to tell you to drive from Houston to Dallas. I'm going to try to tell you drive four hours in the same car, right? You're driving a much longer distance. So guess what's going to happen to that car? In the middle, it may run hot on you, okay? You may be broke down on the side of the road. You might have good luck and get to Dallas without any issue, okay? But once you get to Dallas, it's going to be hard to go further and go back home. I say all that to say the kidney is the same way. It's making it because your function is 1.6. You urinate normally. But then we're literally doubling the blood volume that this kidney is handling. And so first, it may be like the little engine that could. But eventually, it could tire out. And then your creatinine is doubled above what your baseline is in pregnancy. And then you're on dialysis because that can happen in pregnancy. You can't force the kidneys to work. Okay. They have to be functional. So the good thing is you have a new rheumatologist. You said they just changed your medicine. This is a change and an improvement. So your kidney function was even worse. So what I would recommend doing is, following up with your rheumatologist in a few months, getting your creatinine rechecked on the new medication regimen, making sure that your creatinine is improving. And once you get lower, like 1.0 to 1.2, 
then you see a reproductive endocrinologist that can talk to you about getting IVF. Now, ideally, we want your creatinine to be normal, okay? Ideally, we want it to be normal. That is going to be the lowest risk for you in pregnancy to be normal because we don't want you to go through that getting further renal damage because we need you to be here in five years to take care of this child. So wait, tell your rheumatologist your goals, see what your creatinine does in a couple months on the new medicines. If it hasn't improved, you know, they may be talking about like, if it's getting worse, you could be somebody that needs even a kidney transplant. So we've got to make sure that your kidney function is moving in the right direction on those medicines. The other piece is we need to make sure those medicines you're on are safe in pregnancy. So it's going to be really important that you talk to your rheumatologist and your OBGYN about what your goals are. Make sure your creatinine is normal or close to normal. And then make sure those medicines are safe. And some medicines that people are on have a washout period, okay? Cellcept, methotrexate, those medicines you need to be off for a couple months before you get pregnant. So that's why you got to talk and plan, um, plan your pregnancy. So I'm not telling you that you shouldn't get pregnant. Um, I'm telling you that you need to wait until your kidney function improves. Let's say your kidney function doesn't improve. Then you may need to talk to your reproductive endocrinologist about a surrogate or, you know, an alternative way to have children or even adopting because you should not get pregnant if your renal function is getting worse. Let's just wait and see what happens on the change of medicines. And let's just stay positive because you've already told us it's moving in the right direction. All right. So medical intern, I believe that's all of our cases and questions for the day. And she's shaking her head. Yes. So thank you guys so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls podcast. I hope you've learned more about lupus and pregnancy. And if you have lupus, make sure to take steps to optimize your health before you get pregnant. If you do that, you have an extremely high chance of getting safely through this pregnancy and any other pregnancy you want in the future. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. And don't forget to catch up on the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. 
then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.